So I want to get back to a ship. We, we've talk, been talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and certain things. And so today we're going to go back on the ship in Acts 27. So here's the deal toward the end of Paul's life. He's learned a lot. It's amazing how smart we get the older we get. Acts 27, the Lord says, you're going to have to stand before Caesar. You're going to have to go to Rome. And he said, I'll do that. And the Bible says in Acts 27, when they, when they set out for sailing, that it was smooth sailing. The south wind was blowing. Different directions in the Bible of wind directions mean different things. The north is the breeze of God. East brings in pestilence, disease. West brings in rain of blessings. And the south wind is subtle and relaxation. That's what it means. You can look it up. I don't care. South wind was blowing. Gentle, easy, smooth sailing. And then how many know smooth sailing does not last long? How many has ever been in a storm? I'm in a storm as we speak right now. And I will tell you that the thing about it is that when you get in the middle of a storm, you think that God has abandoned you and forgotten you, but you're going to find out in a little bit, that's where God will speak to you out of. Moses, it was a burning bush and the mountains on fire. Elijah, it was when the rock was coming apart and the mountains shaking and everything was coming apart around him and God wanted to speak to him. So the Bible says that we be exceedingly tossed and tempted with the tempest. This is a word called Eurachlodon. The next day we lighten the ship. So this is what happens. They started out in this boat. He's headed, he's headed to the island of Crete and he's, he's, he's a prisoner here. He's not on the, the Carnival Vista at all. And when they started out, everything was pretty good, and then something happened. The Bible says in verse 13 or so, before we knew it, we were surrounded by winds. It's called Eurolochidon, or a typhoon or a hurricane. All four directions. It's not just one thing. It's four things at one time. And before long, the boat's coming apart. Everything's coming apart. Nothing seems to be making sense, and nothing seems to be as we thought. And you've heard me say this. What started to be the love boat turned out to be the Titanic. So the first thing it says, and we being silly tossed by a temptest, with a temptest, the next day they lightened the ship. They lightened the ship. Mark, you're going to have to sit down for a minute. You're, can you sit down for me? Yeah, thank you. You're, it's, I'm distracted. They lightened the ship. Rule number one, you're going to find out something. If you've ever been in a storm of your life, Watch this. The first thing you're going to be tempted to do is throw things overboard. Number one. Number one. Matter of fact, during the difficult storms that we go through, the first thing we're tempted to do is to throw overboard our cargo. So we're just talking about the next day. So the storm began to blow. The, the winds began to come. Things began to come apart. People were in a, in, 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 in a panic and the first thing that happens is that when you get in a storm of your life, the first thing that you are tempted to do because you are tempted to throw away the cargo that's inside you. And don't act like you're sitting there like you haven't because you have. Oh, it's good when you got a pay raise and it's good when the, everybody thinks you're wonderful and it's good when all the medical bills and everything's paid and you got a good clean report from the, the doctor, but when things are not good... The first thing that you're tempted to do while you're in the middle of a tempest of a storm is to say, I'm through, I quit, it doesn't work, stick a fork in me, I am done. And by, by overthrowing the cargo, it's called ekbalo. And ek means out and balo means to throw. 
The first thing they did was throw out the cargo. If we're not careful, the first thing we want to do is throw over our message that we carry. The hope of Christ, the confidence of Christ, the eternal love of God, the confidence of God, our, our grace, our forgiveness, our hope, our redemption, all those things we throw overboard. Now, you may not do it in front of everybody, but you're tempted to do it as you roll down the window of your car, driving down the road, and bills pile up, health declines, your marriage is not getting along, and I'm not looking at you, Danny, but I'm looking straight at you, and, and, and all these things. And if you're, not, if you're not careful, the first thing you want to say, because God did not respond to the way that you want him to respond. He didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted him to answer prayer. You roll down your spiritual window, and you start throwing over the cargo. It doesn't work. The more I pray, the worse my situation gets. The more I give to the church, the less money that I have coming in. And before long, you find yourself throwing out the cargo. Let me tell you something. Whatever happens, keep the cargo. Your enemy doesn't care about you. He's only interested in the cargo you carry. I know you want to look in the mirror and say, oh, a mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most handsome above them all? Of course, we know Don Dixon is. But besides that, <clears throat> there's nothing really about you that's that impressive. It's the cargo you carry. And it's the cargo of eternal life and redemption of Christ, God's kingdom on earth, God's kingdom of heaven, and everything that we have within us that is good and wholesome and profitable. Watch this. It's because God has placed that cargo in us, and if you're not careful, when right in the middle of your very worst storm, you want to toss it overboard. Turn to somebody and say, don't do it. dum de dum dum don't do it. Because I want to tell you why, in a minute, they're going to be starving to death. You're talking about dumb. Hey, here's a, here's a barrel of wheat. Let's throw it overboard. And here, 14 days later, we're trying to eat the shoe leather off one another's foot. The very thing that you're throwing overboard, you'll need in the future during a storm. So verse number 19 says, the next thing what happens is that on the third day that we cast out our, with our own hands tackling of the ship. So first thing we do, we throw over the cargo, the message, the hope of Christ, the love of Christ, the love of God, the forgiveness and redemption, all that, and we threw that overboard, and now then things are not getting any better. <clears throat> the devil said, if you'll just quit talking about it, things will get better. If you'll just quit witnessing, your life will get better. So we just quit, and it didn't get better. If you'll just take off that I love Jesus shirt and put on a pink Floyd, things will get better. It won't get better. You listen to me? Oh, he'll tell you all kinds of things. And the more that he gives you information, it's always bad information. See? He'll tell you to take off that old UT shirt and put on a Texas Longhorn. Don't do it. Do not do that. Thank you. And for goodness sake, that orange shirt up in still water, do not put that on. So the next thing, when things didn't get better, the next thing happens is with our own hands, with our own fleshly hands, we throw over the tackling. The tackling represents spiritual giftings in the church. Tackling has everything to do with the mast, the sails, the rudder, the steering wheel, because in verse 14 it says this, we just let her drive. We just let her go. Now watch this. Remember what I, listen to this. They just let her go. 
we remove. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20, 21, 22 says this, that, that no scripture is a private interpretation. It's a Greek word. It means no man just sat down and said, today I want to hear from God. Private interpretation doesn't mean the doctrine of the Baptist and the Assembly of God. Private interpretation is a Greek word, three compound words. It means this. Nobody in the Old Testament ever sat down and said, well, today I'm going to hear from God, and I'm going to stay here until I hear from God. Nobody ever does it that way. The Bible says the old men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved is where we get a word for Pharaoh. It means to raise the sail. So this is the way it works. That men back in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today, this is all we can do is that we just make ourselves available for God. And so he says, these men, how they heard from God is they just raised the sail. And if the wind didn't blow, we didn't go anywhere. But when the wind began to blow, the wind took us. So the first thing they did, they threw overboard the cargo. The healing of God, the hope of God, the redemption of God, the love of Christ. And they just threw it overboard. They quit talking about it, and they just went through the motion. And the second thing, they come to church, they need to get better. And he said, if you'll just get rid of all the spiritual stuff, I mean all the giftings of God, whether it be the what he gives or the giftings of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we've been talking about it, if you'll just get rid of that stuff, then what happens is you can have a normal church. Well, I'll tell you, with their own hands, if we're not careful, we've done that. We have removed the Spirit of God out of the church. If we're not careful that we have removed the, the, the spirituality of God out of, out of our churches today, and now then with our own hands that we have taken over and we've become legalistic, we've become very religious, we've got it down to a fine art. This is what we do here. We start at 10, we sing about three songs, and we're out of 1055. And you can count it like clockwork. We're out of here. Clockwork. clockwork. The plumber don't even own a clock. Clockwork. And all along, what's this? All along that we're missing the divine spirit of God moving and rushing through us. So the first thing will happen if you're not careful going through a storm, you'll just, uh, you'll just give up and quit it and say it's not working and it's not useful and, and, and it's not doing anything. And then the second thing about it is when, when songs begin to sing like Catherine's song or these guys, then AJ and Brad sing, you'll just sit there like a, a totem pole saying, I'm, I'm not doing anything, it's not working. What happens? You're not allowing the Spirit of God to move you. It's almost like you come in there and said, do something for me. I'm not doing something for you. So the next verse says, that then after that, for almost 14 days, we know that there was no sun, nor there was any, store, any stars that appeared. This has everything to do with sun and stars, has everything to do with greater light and lesser light. One is for illumination and one's for inspiration. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. There's a greater light and there's a lesser light. Matter of fact, so the sun represents Jesus, <clears throat> illumination, and the stars represent inspiration. Malachi 4.2 says, he doesn't know this, but Malachi 4.2 says, and the sun shall arise, S-U-N, with healing in his wings. The sun is Jesus. The sun shall arise, S-U-N, with healing in his wings. So in Genesis chapter 1, we have a greater light and we have a lesser light. And we know that the sun and the stars have something in common, but the sun happens to be closer than the rest of them. They both had the ability to give light. Moon is only a reflector of satellite, but sun, the greater light and the lesser light. So the sun represents Jesus, and he gives a sense of clarity and something makes sense. <clears throat> and the stars represents other people that has the light of God in them. But either way, one is, they're both used for navigational terms. 
somewhere when we go through storms after 14 days of this, nothing is making sense of this. We can't find Jesus and we have no one around us with a godly influence to help us through this situation. That seems to be the problem. So I don't know about you, but I've been through some storms in my life and I'll tell you that I came to church or I turned on the radio and I heard people talking about it and it was like they were speaking another language. I didn't get it. Because I've been in this thing for so long. My mind was messed up. My thought process was messed up. My thinking was messed up. Things were not improving. Now, I'm not talking about yesterday, but a while back. And, I, and I'll tell you, you can get to a point where you can sing about Jesus, but he's, he's nowhere in sight. And then, and then the stars represents a navigational term, but represents the lesser light. Jesus said that I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world, but I want you to know he's a greater light than us. But still, watch this, but still, we that have the light of God in us, that we are held responsible to help navigate people who may be shipwrecked or lost somewhere that needs a little inspiration along the way. I'm not Jesus, but I will tell you what, the kingdom of heaven lives with me, and I want to inspire you to continue strong in your course towards him. So you can get to that place where first things happen is you just say, I quit. I give up. It's not working. Number two, then you start removing the tackling from your life. You just quit trying to be spiritual or trying to approach God on the spirit side. And, and I will tell you, you'll be in trouble by that because the, the Bible says that the, the day will come when you will worship me in spirit and in truth. And third, sometimes after 14 days, you can go through a process where it is so long that you just can't see anything. There's no clarity, there's no hope, there's no anything. So he's in a pickle. He's in a mess. And everybody on board's with him. Now, I want you to know at the beginning of this chapter, he told them, I'm going to tell you straight up, the Holy Spirit told us not to go. And in this next verse, he's going to tell them, I hate to tell you I told you so, but I told you so. That's what he said. Now look at verse 23. He said, gentlemen, I mean, this thing is absolutely, after almost two weeks of this mess, he said, last night, there stood by me, this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. He said to me, fear not. Now, right in the middle of this mess, when the planks are coming apart, we talked about this, they used helps, the boards were coming apart, they took down the sails, they took down the mast, they threw away the steering wheel, they took off the rudder, they threw off the ship's cargo, they threw everything off. They even threw the captain and the parrot off. They threw everything off. And they're left to bear nothing. And right in the middle of this stuff where everybody was absolutely pulling their spiritual hair out, he said, last night an angel appeared to me and he told me to fear not. Isn't it amazing that God always waits sometimes when we get right in the middle of something before he speaks to us? Now, I want to be honest with you. In the church that I grew up in, I know that when the organ got loud and the drummer got, finally got on beat, and everything got ramped up here. We, they said, oh, God will speak to you. I, I don't really know if that ever happened in 33 years of my life or 40. I found out it was when I was somewhere about to come disassemble in my mind. That's when the Holy Spirit come to me. 
and said something to me or touched me. And I looked around and I thought it was somebody in the room, but there was nobody in the room with me. You're going to find out in the middle of whatever storm that you're going through, that's where the Holy Spirit is needed in your life. And so Paul stands up and he said, I'll tell you right now, you're not going to believe this. And they said, at this point in our life, we'll believe anything. An angel from God whom I serve appeared to me last night and he told me to fear not. Now quickly this morning, there are three basic Greek words in the Bible, in the New Testament, for fear. The first one is found in Hebrews chapter number 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, In whom the days of his flesh, Jesus, when he, Jesus, had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears. You're not, you're not seeing this. In the days of his flesh, while Jesus was on earth, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and a lot of tears to the only one who was able to save him from death, which was his father, and was heard in that because he feared. Show the next verse. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. First of all, Jesus is strong tears and strong grief is pleading to the Father for something to happen or maybe something changed, but he did not because he feared his Father. This is a, a Greek word called yulaba, and yulaba is a word for reverence or respect for the Father. You is beautiful, and where we get over for Abba, it means Father. Yulaba is a word for reverence or respect. It means he respected or revered his Father. The second word for fear is found in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. It says, God has not given us the spirit of, of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Delia is a word for timidity, a coward. God has not called us to be cowards. God has not called us to be timid. God has called us to have authority, exuding power, and a sound mind. Sound mind is, is a word called sophroniso. It means save brains. But the third one is 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear has what? Torment. This is a word called phobos. And this is the word I'm going to talk to you about. Phobos. Phobia. By definition, the Bible says that means dead, dread, terror, or torment. A phobia or phobos basically is a mental anguish of an event without that event ever happening. So when he says perfect love, cast out fear, the love of God, when it's casted out in your, when the love of God is perfected in your life, it removes or casts out fear because fear will torment you. Fear will torment you. You will be tormented even though that thing doesn't even come to pass. There's a lot of phobias. There, there is like, uh, hemophobic is one that's, uh, they pass out in the side of blood. I pass out the side of my own blood. 
Uh, cataphobia. That means you're a you're cat. You know, I told this. Oh, I mean, I told this. It's funny, but I, I go to the doctor about a year ago. Some of you, uh, I got hurt on the job. I had my hand cut. A two before fell out of the rafter. I mean, just ripped it wide open. So I called Gail. I said, hey, I'm going to go to the doctor. I think I need some stitches. She said, okay. I said, I'm, I'm taping my hand to a board to get me there. She goes, I think I'll meet you there. I said, okay. <laughs> really, it's true. So when I go in the doctor's office, I got a one-by because it just tore all the meat off right here. So I go to the doctor's office, and, and, and I, there I got a board taped to my hand. It's duct tape, of course. And I walk in there, and, 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 and she said, I see what the problem is already. <laughs> and so I go there. Alfred, I go there, and they're nice. And so I, they, you know, it, it's been about an hour, and I go to the doctor, and so they cut this thing off. So the doctor said, we're going to put some stitches. I said, that's fine. So they shot some stuff in there, whatever it is, and I'm... I'm I'm, I'm, I'm standing there watching it, you know. And, and he put about eight or nine or ten in there, and he said, you good? And I said, I'm good. And so Gayla's right beside me. Gayla, you know, Alfred, my wife, my loving wife. And he said, you got two puncture holes right there. I think I'm going to get them. He said, let me give you another shot, <clears throat> or let me just stitch them. <clears throat> I said, no, just stitch them. So he put the first stitch in, and oh, I felt that one. And he went to get that other one, and I stood up and I said, I think I need to lay down immediately. I just heard Gayla scream, and I passed out. I hit the wall, passed out. And I remember I heard the doctor said, we need somebody in here. I think he said, Timber, but whatever he said, I just hit the wall. I'm out. And when I woke up, there was two nurses that I never saw before. They got this smelling sauce. And I'm wadded up in the corner like a slug on a sidewalk. I'm wadded up in a corner somewhere, and there's a lady standing over me, and I'm, I'm kind of gaining my bearings, and I'm, I'm, I said, I'm all right. And she said, sure you are. That's why you're wadded up in the corner. <laughs> oh, they was concerned, Alfred. They were concerned for me. You know what my wife was doing? I know what you're going to say. She was praying over you. Wrong. She was taking pictures of me <laughs> wadded up. <laughs> Had my tongue hanging out. My hair was messed up. I was wadded up like a, a possum in a corner somewhere. Oh, she thought that was fun. <laughs> Dental phobia is the, the anguish of a, going to the dentist. Anybody like going to the dentist? That explains a lot. But, you know, I've had several root canals. As a matter of fact, I had major surgery on my mouth. And, but, you know, you know, you know what you think. But, you know, they say, well, you got to have a root canal tomorrow. You know, what you, you know what you do. You get the next morning, oh, I get a root canal today. <laughs> did, you ever, did, you ever, did you ever see those movies back in the 70s and 80s where you had a mad dentist and they cut your tongue off with a drill? Have you ever seen that in? Can we show that? It's a, no, let's not show that. Have you ever, ever wondered if, if the dentist had a bad day at home and his wife calls and she said, I'm going to divorce now and he's right in the middle of a root canal? Do you ever just go through the anguish of, of, of that needle going in you and that roots coming out? Anybody ever do that besides me? You get a phobia of it. And it's the anguish and it's the mental phobia and it hasn't even happened. And matter of fact, when you get there, you, they, you know they're going to give you a sucker so you endure all the pain. 
Phobias is the anguish of the enemy messing with your mind of telling you what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's not going to happen. The enemy is going to tell you this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is the diagnosis and that's going to happen and this is going to happen and, and you are so mentally fatigued and wore out and aggravated and, and all the life of God is taken out of you. And I'm, i got news for you. If he gives you any advice, it's, it's not going to happen. Phobias can destroy you and more than likely, they're not even going to occur in your life. So whatever he offers you in a suggestion, just... Just count on the option. And if he says you're not going to make it, God said you're going to live and live long. And if he says you're going to die broke, get ready for a pay raise. The idea of this phobia business is that it has everything to do with fear. Now, a long time ago, I talked about this, but I want to show you something. So what does the Bible have to say about our phobias and our fears? And does the Bible say anything about fears? And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. The word fear not is used 169 times in the Bible. Be not afraid is used 79 times. Have no fear is used 25 times. Shall not fear is used 55 times. And do not fear is 37 times. And when you add all of those numbers together, even though you're from Long Grove, it comes out to be 365. It's almost like God gives you a do not fear, be not afraid, have no fear, shall not fear, and do not fear verse for every day of your life. Why? Because we are tempted to be afraid, to get in a panic, and to have phobias every day in our life. And by the way, in Matthew 6 and 31, he uses the word, take no thought for tomorrow. That means to worry. That's for the leap year. <laughs> 366 times God is telling us you don't have to be afraid. 366 verses in the Bible tells us you don't have to be fearful of this. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to worry about it. So I just encourage you, get your concordance, and every day of your life, find one verse and say it to yourself every day for the next year and let it sink in. I'm not telling you that you're not going to go through some terrific storms of your life. I'm just telling you God is greater than any storms that you go through. And He's right there beside you. Now, lastly this morning, when we go through storms of our life, we are capable of doing dumb stuff. And we're surely going to say some dumb stuff. And I'm probably the only guy on the planet that has done that. But I mean absolutely when, not lately, but when I first kind of started out and I let the launching pad. Listen, I haven't arrived, but I have let the launching pad this thing. My problem is I didn't have anybody like you have here. 
I never had anybody to tell me anything. I never had anybody just take the thing apart and unravel it and unwind it and say, here, this is what it is. I mean, they just basically say, good luck, and you're on your own. Just let the thing drive you. The worst thing you can do is turn loose and let this thing drive you. The worst thing you can do is let the winds of adversity take you where it wants you to go. Listen, I'm telling you, don't overthrow your cargo. Don't take down the masting. And for God's sake, just keep your faith towards Christ. We have our old buddy Job. And Job's got the three stooges helping him. Have you ever had friends that said you're friends, but they make the matters worse? Now, I want to tell you, Job is really not for the amateur of readers. People get born again and say, the first thing I want to do is read Job and Revelations. Don't do that. You'll be messed up more than you are. Job is a weird... Job has no answers. I don't know if you know that. Job has no answers. It's all questions. It's like poetry that doesn't rhyme. Roses are red, violets are blue, the horses are green, and the leprechauns are yellow. That doesn't even make sense. To some of you it does, but the rest of you don't make sense. <clears throat> Reading Job doesn't make sense. Now, there's some life lessons, but here we go. Job has been stricken, and we know that he was God's man. We know that God's favor was upon him, and we know all of this. And He didn't even know there was a devil involved. Now, some of you know this, but Job is the oldest manuscript that we have on record. It's not Genesis, it's Job. Now, I know that Genesis gives the information, but 1,500 years has already passed before Moses hit planet Earth. So Job is having a conversation with God, and he doesn't even know there's a devil involved. God knows it. So his wife says, the wife doesn't say, hey, let's just blame the devil. The wife says, just blame God and die. And this is what Job said. He, he didn't say like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. He just said, he said, he just said this, that, that even God slayed me. I still trust him. So, he's going through this, a period of his life, and, and I'm going to read you something, and I'm going to condense it. But now then, things are not improving. And we fasted, and it's not improving. And we prayed, and, and it's not improving. And we got a prayer circle, and it's not improving. Nothing's improving, and he's got three friends, and, and supposedly they're speaking oracles of God upon his life, and they're just making matters worse. And so finally, Job just questioned God. He said, I don't think you're listening to me now. Oh, he'd never say that in public. <laughs> and Job said, I really don't think you care. God, I don't even think you're concerned with my life. Oh, I know what you said about me, but I don't think you care. And God, to be honest with you, I just think it's all up in the air. And I really don't think you understand the situation that I'm going through. And it got God's attention. And I'm going to read this to you. It's a few verses. But more than I want you to read along, this is Job 38. And this is the conversation now God is having with Job. Because Job said, God, I don't really think you even care about my life. And I really don't think you 
can control my situation. Job 38, and now finally God answered. From the eye of a violent storm. Was he under a tornado watch? No. He was in a mental and a physical and a spiritual storm. A whirlwind. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like your emotions are in a whirlwind? Nothing's making sense. Nothing's working. The more I trust God, the worse it gets. And now then God speaks to Job. Out of the eye of a violent storm. He says, why do you confuse the issue, Job? And why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? You can insert your name anywhere in this if you want to. Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall, because I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on his size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted in praise? And who took care of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? Oh, that was me. I wrapped it up in soft clouds and I tucked it safely at night and then I made a playpen for it. A strong playpen so it couldn't run loose and said, you stay here in your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you ever ordered the morning to get up? Or told the dawn to go to work? Do you know where light comes from and where the darkness lives? So, you can take them by the hand and lead them home whenever they get lost, right? Well, of course you know that. You've known them all your life, grown up in the same neighborhood with them. Have you ever traveled where the snow is made? Have you ever seen the vault where the hail is stockpiled, the arsenal of hail and snow that I keep in readiness for times of trouble and battle and war? Can you find your way to where the lightning is launched or the place in which the winds blows? Who do you suppose carves canyons for the downpours of rains and charts the roots of thunderstorms that brings water to the unvisited fields, deserts that no one will ever lay an eye on, drenched the useless wastelands so they are carpeted with wildflowers and grass? And who do you think the father of a rain and dew? And who's the mother of ice and frost? You don't for a minute imagine that these marvels of weather just happened, do you? So verse 40 says, So now, what do you have to say for yourself? 
Are you going to haul the mighty one into the court and press charges? And Job answered. I'm speechless in awe. Words fail me. I shouldn't have ever opened my mouth. I talk too much. I talk way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. Whatever storm that you may be facing this morning, in this one chapter, God has given you this wonderful description about the earth and His creation. Chapter 39 deals with all the creation, the animals, and it's a wonderful verses to read. And by the time you get to verse 40, the King James says, Job said, I made a mistake. I put my hand over my mouth. If there's one thing that I've learned, that even though my situation is out of my control, It's not out of God's. You may be hurting, you may be lonely, you may be empty, you may be afraid, you may be concerned, you may feel abandoned, you may feel forgotten. You may say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm in the the worst storm of my life. It's a whirlwind. It's not just one thing. It's everything. But I want you to know God still can speak in the midst of your storm. God is greater than your situation. God is more powerful than your circumstance. So rule number one. If you're going through something, and if you're about to go through something, and you will, don't throw out the cargo. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever his love is from beginning to end he loves you if his eyes open on the spare how much more is concerned with you number two don't throw over the tackling remain flexible remain available Lift your arms, lift your sails, and ask the Holy Spirit just to soothe you and satisfy you and throw and just flow through your innermost beings. Because God is a spirit. Number three, when you really don't have any inspiration and you don't know where to go and what to do and what to say, just stay the course. Don't be afraid. God has given you a verse every day dealing with fear. And lastly, always remember, as good old Job, God has got it. He knows where you are. 
and he loves you and he's concerned about your situation. Father, this morning, let healing just kind of flow through this place. This is why we came. This is why we're here, to acknowledge that you're greater than our sickness. We're throwing nothing overboard. The only thing we're throwing overboard is our doubt and fears. So, Father, we pray this morning for those that are dealing with high blood pressure, those that are dealing with sicknesses and whatever that we're dealing with, right in the middle of a whirlwind of physical ailments and mental stress, would you heal us? Would you just speak to us and calm us? If you'll just say the word, we'll be good. We're in a world that's upside down. We're in a climate that's absolutely chaotic. Would you just calm the hearts of your children? And I pray that healing will flow out of this place. Marriages will mend. Lives will be changed. Damaged emotions will be mended. And God, that we can stand upright and with our shoulders square back as children of the Most High. Your word is true. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. Stand with me this morning, if you would, please. Huh? You don't have to raise your hand this morning, but does anybody besides me, like old Job, was too busy talking? Too busy telling God how big our problems are when we should have told our problems just how big our God is? And I've learned a valuable lesson that I think I'll just let God fight my battles. So this morning when we leave this place, I just want you to be of good courage and comfort that God is on our side. And through every storm and every whirlwind that not only is He there, but He'll speak to us to calm us and give us assurance. And I'm so glad for that. Turn about two people and say, you know what? I'm a better person because of your life. You've inspired me. You've helped me. You've encouraged me. You have proven to me that I'm not the worst singer in the church. Thank you for doing that. Communion servers, please make your way. We will never overthrow the tackling of the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit out the window. We will, not, we will never substitute the ministry of the Holy Spirit for trinkets and gadgets and gimmicks. The Holy Spirit is here this morning and He's moving through your life and He's reaffirming and confirming some things to you. He's assuring you that even though it's out of your hands, it's not out of His. 
God will heal the brokenhearted. That night he sat with his disciples that was absolutely in a whirlwind. Their emotions and their minds and their mental fatigue, they were absolutely coming apart at the seams this last Passover meal. He took the bread and he took the cup and he's, he lifted the bread and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the ordinance of the Passover, the unleavened bread, but he said, I am now the bread of life that came from heaven. And he that eats this bread will never hunger again. And he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Lamb's blood that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross upon the doorpost. But now then I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my own blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And ladies and gentlemen, because of the bread and the cup, we don't have to fear this life and we don't have to be afraid of the next one. He is God of both. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'll comfort every heart that is hurting today. Amen.